0: Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations.
1: We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan the fifth column,
0: and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical insult in the news cycle the people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I still do remarkable and important things oh. and, you know, at Freethink Media. I'm a little bit confused because we're in the midst of a, of a race war, Jeez. a civil war. <laughs> The country is totally falling apart. And you don't know what team you're on. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure that out because yeah. as someone who is racially agnostic,
2: who do I root for? Well, just wait to the end and see who's winning and then join <laughs> that <right>. side. That's, <laughs> what I, that's what I do. Work for Switzerland. <laughs> as a quizling, that's what I do. Oh, I love that you gosh. came out right into race war. <laughs> guys i gotta i gotta go guys <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> remember we have, like we can't fuck around now we have like a guest who's like a real person i know i haven't homos. even introduced anyone
0: yet um the voices you're hearing matt welch editor at large reason magazine you know the deal uh michael Moynihan, he's still at vice news this is amazing they still managed to keep him <laughs> around for some reason uh and so surprised we have we have an exemplary guest today She is talented and classy. She is one of the most insidery insiders in Washington, D.C. She is notorious. She is relentless. And she's she's a professional, which makes it all the more unusual that she's here hanging out with us. Olivia Nuzzi is in the building. Olivia, thank uh, you for joining or, she's us. She's in
2: her building. Um, I'm in my well, building.
0: Yeah. Metaphorically
3: speaking. Thank you for having me.
2: But you know how great the, a podcast this is, Olivia, is that we attract the the biggest neo-Nazi talent in journalism, <laughs> which is you. So before we talk about election and all that stuff, I you are the nicest person I know. You are a <laughs> down-the-middle reporter. I don't know what you believe about anything, and I've known you for a long time. And I go on, I go on Twitter and... There is like a hate fest against Olivia. I guess when they're attacking that Paw Patrol show, that really everything's fair game at this point. But uh, but what is up? What happened?
3: I well, I said that it was important. Thank you for calling me nice, by the way, as if I'm not like a huge bitch to
1: you for the yeah. last five years. <laughs> um, but, um, it's comparative. Yeah.
3: yeah. I um I tweet well. It depends. People have been mad at me for for a long time now. I don't know actually which thing you're talking about. Um but I you know I shut off my mentions in like 2016. I only see them from people I follow. So I mm. miss a lot of I know I'm really in trouble when I have like 50 mentions now because it's just people who are ordinarily polite to me but who are telling me I'm an asshole mm. <laughs> this time. Um but I um I miss a lot of people being angry at me, um which is good, but I also live in a bubble now. But I think mm. people were mad at me last night because I said it was important to be a nice person privately. Uh, which is controversial now.
0: Wait, is that a why, controversial why?
3: take? I guess. So you know because I see all these people saying now and, and they're mostly talking about very white <laughs> but know. saying it doesn't matter if you're nice privately. you know it doesn't matter if you say oh, that person's so so sweet on a personal level. Uh, it only matters what you what you post basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's ridiculous.
2: I would
0: I would also concur.
2: I, I saw something the other day that said I was a, one of these, Instagram stories because we're communicating in the early days of this uh, conflict uh, entirely through uh, perishable Instagram posts. Uh, One that said, um, you know, if your parents are literally, I can send this to all of you. If your parents say bad things and are racist, or if they they are on the wrong side of X, Y, or Z issue, um, is it coming upon you to stop talking to them? And And I saw your, um, Uh, A colleague, actually, at New York Magazine, Andrew Sullivan, who's been on the show, post post something that was funny about um, somebody who was a screenshot of someone comparing the moment we're in right now to Scientology. And that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh, it's you have to disassociate from your family members who are like doing are, are, you know, corrupting the brain. And that's kind of the same thing here. Is like, I don't care if this so and so is nice. I used to say that about people that I disagreed with all the time. Like, you know, it's kind of a thing in D.C. You come across people who are totally bonkers on things, and you see them right. at parties and see them, and they end up being nice people. And you say that now, and it's like, oh. you know, the, it's the old communist thing of of um, t- tell me whose side are you on? You know, and like right. that was that was like a song, like like a marching song of like whose side are you on? And I've never felt that until now. <laughs> it's really terrible.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would never argue that people shouldn't factor in what people believe and what they promote, the ideas that they promote, right? And I said as much, but it didn't matter. People were still like, oh, you know, I bet you, I bet you loved Hitler's talk.
1: (laughs) Wait, was there a real tweet?
3: (laughs) There were multiple. Yeah, I actually looked at the replies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. d- Have so, you never
2: been on Twitter, Michael? I don't. I, I, when people respond to me, I turn, I turn, I actually turn my phone off just in case they get through. But is to answer that question, do you like Hitler's dog?
1: Yeah. Can you clear that up for America? <laughs>
3: off, off the record, no comment. <laughs> no, I just think, I just think it's so. It's like this sociopathic way that people are are interacting with each other now, where it's like the only thing that matters is what you post. And if you do post, you might be in trouble. And if you don't post, you also might be in trouble. Mm. <laughs> and it's just, I just think it's ridiculous. It's not how most, like nobody is on Twitter. You know, there, what is it? Three yeah. percent of the population
2: and, in America. And, and, and of course, this the center is, you know, further in each direction on both sides, to the right and the left right. on Twitter. But you're somebody who came up in journalism in an era that, that Twitter existed and it's kind of the only thing that you know, from your, from your professional career. Yeah. I mean, does it seem worse to you? Cause you're very good at it. I mean, people know you very, from Twitter and you're funny on Twitter. It's is that, dumb is
3: thing. It's such a dumb thing to be. It's awful,
2: but and stupid, but it seems to me, and I don't know if I'm just, you know, a sensitive old man now, but it seems worse to me.
3: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's difficult to tell because when I uh was, was getting my start and Twitter was super important to me. And, and it's like the reason why I have a career in a lot of ways, right? Because it gave me a platform and and a way to express myself outside of the bounds of like normal, um, the normal hierarchy in journalism where you have to break through different barriers before uh, you get to a certain level of the, you know, a certain platform. Right. Uh, But I, I realized at some point in, I think, like, 2016 that I was no longer punching up when I thought I was. I was, like, punching laterally or punching down. Like, it was no longer okay for me to tweet someone's, like, dumb article who is, like, a colleague and be like, this is a stupid fucking headline or whatever I would normally say. (laughs) And that kind of changed the way that I interact with Twitter. And so I, I don't know. I feel like it's different for people with different sized platforms where, for me, I can't interact on Twitter the way that I did Five years ago or six years ago anymore, um, and when I say if I were to tweet like, "Oh, it's nice out today," you know, half the replies would be like, "Fuck you, Nazi." <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyway, so I, I think I think it is worse now. I think it is definitely. You no know, bull, worse Connor.
2: Now. liked nice weather, Olivia.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. It's worse for me now. It's probably worse for you now. But I don't know that everyone is having that experience. I think there are still a lot of people who are like, you know finding Twitter to be the best way to register their uh, criticisms of this industry or I mean, there's an expect.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's an expectation from you because you do it. um, And and that's kind of part of your, your sort of journalistic personality in a way, or used to be anyway, for me, I could disappear for a month off Twitter and no one, literally nobody notices. So, and I think it's, (laughs) I kind of designed it that way. There's a point where I tweeted a lot and then I deleted yeah. all those tweets, um, so those don't exist anymore. I mean, they're in the Wayback Machine, which is like probably the most popular website right now. <laughs> it's like the Wayback Machine is like, let's find the bad things that people from the Vanderpump Rules said right. at one point. So I refuse to delete
3: know, my like I respect your decision to delete your tweets. I have yeah. a lot of stupid tweets that people have, uh, you know, canceled me for uh, in the past, and I just refuse to delete them because I'm. Like I'm not trying to hide the dumb yeah. shit that I said, right? But there have certainly been times recently with all this where I'm like, well, maybe that's not smart. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be principled about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, but I think I think there's something to that. Like uh, like these these days, I'm uh, so much more in a never apologize camp, or you know, you can explain. I had a bad day and I, I didn't write the perfect thing, but fuck you. Ooh. Like stop digging through my tweets from 2010 to get me fired from my 2020 job, um, that I was only hired for six months ago, which people, that's like a lit, that's a story that happened today at Condon Um, Ooh. you know, fuck that. It's, it's, I, I don't <coughs> delete anything. Um, a, a, unless there's like an egregious spelling mistake or something like that. Um, but, that's well, but mine's, it, mine's you know? not a fear of
2: cancellation as much as it is an embarrassment of what I used to think on certain issues. And like, it's almost to me, like not wanting to show people a picture of me in like 1998, because it's if you think I look dumb now, I mean, I, I, that's well, what I'm I mean, your look. hair. Well, the, I mean,
1: this is just I don't know even what the hell is this when the mob is coming. It, does, it, it doesn't matter. This has happened. And I, I can't talk about this. Um, so I'll, I'll refer to it. But this happened right. to a friend of mine who's completely unrelated to. Is not a friend at all through publishing and journalism. It's a friend because it's uh, like a, you know, their kids friends of my kid kind of thing, and happen to go through is going through the same exact thing, and um and like a lot of different people this week or this past uh, two horrible weeks for journalism, which might be the worst two weeks for journalism in my lifetime, really, and I don't I don't think that I'm exaggerating. Just in the way that the the kind of values that I would have hoped would be important to, to journalism are being now just like gleefully burned in a fire. Um, so uh, uh, in this time, there's been a whole bunch of people who started their weeks saying, you know what? Black Lives Matter or, you know, our company pledges to do more. And then at the end of the week, they're fired because they have either a disgruntled employee, a disgruntled ex-employee or someone He's like, no, you didn't do enough. And there's that one time that you did this one thing. And then the people pile on and derive enjoyment, like get, I think, physical pleasure from joining in something that they don't even know anything about. They don't know any of the details. They couldn't possibly yeah, know yeah. the details. But they're like, we got another one. Let's go. I didn't expect this to happen this way. And I didn't expect it. I thought, you know,
2: you know, the, the, the kind of idea of Me Too, when you take somebody like Harvey Weinstein is like, yeah, this is. A reckoning is uh, is overdue, especially for ratbags like 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 Harvey Weinstein. And then there's a moment at which, like, wait a second, we're accusing a lot of people with no evidence, and they're losing their jobs, they're losing sinecures at, at think tanks or television, whatever it might be. And then you know they just they can never recover. And we saw that, and then it kind of petered out. I didn't see that happening at, at, at the beginning of this. And, and now it, people have learned a lesson from that. People obviously are obviously going to learn the worst possible lesson from, from that episode, which there were some good things that came out of it. And they're taking all the bad things out of it. Because, you know, I mean, think about this. If somebody comes during this and says, this person sent a tweet and, and I saw these responses from people inside the building. They're adjudicating this stuff in public. No HR. I mean, you know, in the past, if you did this, went public with these things and didn't go to HR, you'd be the one that got fired. Like, keep the, the, the stuff in-house. In and now it's all adjudicated on Twitter. And people say, I'm, I was so hurt when I saw... That this guy dressed up as a like a New York Yankee or something. I don't even know what the costume is. I still don't understand it. And everyone's like, "Oh, yeah, that's that's." And then the next thing you know, he's in the back of the building, you know, feeling the cold gunmetal at his neck, and the end of his life. He's done. But it, you know, right now, I just I thought that I didn't I didn't expect that to happen. And I think the 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 glee is right because the Daily Beast, where Olivia and I both used to work, is now I don't know even recognize it anymore. Is um, they had a a headline where they were tallying the people who had been fired. Drudge linked it actually. The who had been fired as a result of the 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 George Floyd stuff and the stuff that came after that. The the the, the, formal name
0: for it is the Great Awakening.
2: The Great Awakening. Well, the the subhead or there was like a kind of a splash on the on the, the. It said it said bye bye. It was like. No, oh, don't do that. Yeah, no, totally. Don't be happy about that. Because, I mean, if there were people that were really horrible, trust me, they wouldn't have made it this far if there was, you know, these horrifying racists that are doing these horrifying things. But you see what happens in certain examples that I can't talk about and certain I can't talk about that mirror each other. And and again, just like in, in, in the Me Too thing, there's bad people and then there's... Um, people are being caught up in this and I don't know if they're very bad, but they're being fired either way. And that's, that's worrying me a
1: lot. There's not a lot, there's not a lot of, uh, I think, generally speaking truth discovery that happens in moments of mobbing. It's like, uh, and, and this may be, or may not be a transition, but like when there's a mob of people who are actually tearing down a statue, they might not be super clued in on who the statue is. (laughs) They might not know whether the statue is, I don't know, uh, in honor of black soldiers, in the civil war or whatever, or the person was not exactly the racist that you thought, or maybe you didn't know who he was or she was. Um, You just, you don't go looking for wisdom, even at a protest and you never ever uh, look for wisdom in a mob. And, and I think these activities online follow uh, mob behavior and structures of, of mob behavior much more than they do of like, oh, hey, here's a bunch of people like trying to figure out whether uh, Dan Rather used the right kerning on his on his, <laughs> his uh, Microsoft you know, Word document memo, yeah, yeah. Uh, from uh, 2003 yeah. talking about, you know, whether uh, George uh, W. Bush had had uh, kind of like forged his way out of, of the Air National Guard or whatever the story was. I've forgotten all the details.
2: But as far as the elections concerned, right, I mean, this is your beat and this is what you're covering. And with Biden, who has a very shaky record on these things in the past, you know, his appearance with Charlemagne didn't do very well. His past support for the 96 crime bill, et cetera. How is this actually going to affect this moment going to affect uh, the 2020 election? You know, and by the way, I don't think I even said this at the time because we were talking purely pandemic stuff but i understood actually what biden was trying to say on the breakfast club and i think in a way that Charlemagne did too i gotta go no 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 but no no hold on on. you're not it's not what you think no it's not what you think i what, what biden was like what he was trying to do i mean i think it's fairly clear in some ways is that you know people tell camille foster all the time that he's not black Right. This is a very common thing. Right. I mean, Coleman is not black. John McWhorter is not black. Glenn. Glenn Lowry is not black. And all of a sudden, everyone's surprised when Joe Biden tries to do the same thing. And he's trying to say, like, look, you're not black if you don't vote for me you're like one of those black republicans and we all know that they're bad but when it's in the in the mouth drooling out of the mouth of joe biden it comes out that way and so clear it seemed fairly clear to me that he was making a a statement that was dumb and offensive i i mean I, i find it offensive when people say it about camille or people say it about about anybody else it is i find it deeply offensive more so, I think, than a lot of other people who don't find it offensive consistently. But when Biden said it, everyone's like, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, but this is a common trope in politics, is that there's one way to be black. And unfortunately, Joe Biden has decided to get into that business, too, and say it. But he's Joe Biden, so he says it in a very, very awkward way. And the redemption now, of course, is that is that, you know, the the, the sticks, and that this will be the thing that if it is not you know, a black woman and, and that we have a, a number of choices at this point that we people are talking about, then there's going to be a lot of upset in that uh, Joe Biden better do that. And I mean, do you, th- is that, is that, do you think he's going in that direction? Is that a wrong assessment? Because I hear it a lot.
3: I mean, I think for a number of reasons, it'll probably be Kamala Harris. And and one of them is just, you hmm. know, Strictly practical, practically speaking, she is has been vetted a bit by the media, yeah, right? right? She already went through. Uh, we know about her past as a prosecutor that has been litigated um, in the media. Whereas some of the other people who have been mentioned as potential picks for him um, are not familiar to the national political press in the same way, and thus I, I think are more vulnerable uh, when reporters start poking around. Right? There's just it's more powerful when you discover something than when you bring it back up in the press um but you know I, I also think this is a difficult moment for joe biden and and this is something that i've thought a lot about with him almost everything that for him is a strength it's also a weakness right he is an incredible he's incredible one-on-one with people he's really good at relating to them but Also because of that, people think he's creepy because he sometimes crosses the line physically and and there have been allegations about him making women uncomfortable by touching them. But that's how he relates to people. He touches everything in sight. And then when it comes to... i got to start doing that. Just start start randomly touching (laughs) people. See? This is what I do. But he he has a lot of support uh, among black voters but also his history with the crime bill or the way that he's uh, talked about black people or stories that he's made up uh, related to black people. Um, is something that is used against him frequently. Um, so I think you know, almost everything with him that he would talk about as being, um, you know, that you would say is Joe Biden's strength can also be used as a weapon against him. And I'm sure Donald Trump is like preparing to do that. Um, but I think on this, especially you saw the kind of the awkwardness where there are all these calls for defund the police right now. And Biden is being attacked by the Trump campaign for allegedly being on board with that and for that being his policy. And then you have Biden coming out and saying, no, I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I support and I'm listening to the protesters. However, I don't think that we should defund the police. And it's kind of I, I all of the enthusiasm that you see right now, where all of these people, as you said, Camille, are in the streets in record numbers. Are those same people going to be motivated um, and enthusiastic about going out to vote for somebody who isn't even on board with what they're saying at these Mm -hmm. protests. I don't
0: know. Although it's not clear to, to what extent defund the police was in the minds of most people when they went out to join those protests on Saturday and Sunday. I think they, along with the rest of us, kind of discovered that Black Lives Matter equals defund the police. Once they painted it on the street, it became obvious that this is the new pitch that they have for America. Since we pivoted there, maybe I can just formally ask, has anyone seen any polling on this? Is defunding the police, whatever that means, a politically popular idea? There was a moment where I thought, I wonder if Joe Biden might actually lurch towards this. certainly seems like a reasonable decision to decide not to lurch towards this, unlike certain other members of the Democratic Party who have. Do you suspect most voters are interested in this?
3: I have not seen any polling on this. I, I looked uh, today, the day that we're we're recording this conversation. Um, I didn't find any. I'm sure some some person is some nerd is calling people to ask about yeah. it as we speak. Um, but and maybe we'll have numbers on that in the coming days. But you know, it's one of those things that's in. There obviously is some dispute about what it means exactly, but it's one of those things that I think maybe sounds more radical than it actually is in practice. I mean, there uh, are a lot of compelling reasons to, in, in specific communities, most police departments are obviously funded by local governments, to not use the police. When you don't actually have to, and sure. when the police have been used to answer problems that maybe they don't have to be used to answer, and I think when you interpret it that way, it's really not that radical, right? It kind of it reminds me, you know some of the conversations about prison reform, you know where you're just talking about using um drug courts or you know making people go to rehab instead of imprisoning. Them. it's that same kind of rethinking of how you use your resources but it does sound quite radical when you just use the
2: slogan it, it's it's unclear to me what these people mean and i agree with everything that you just said and, and as a matter of fact i think camille and i Great. camille Thank and i had a conversation about <laughs> why are the uh you know i guess it was alex tabarok who wrote that like why are the police enforcing the marginal revolution yeah yeah why are they enforcing traffic law uh, is that a place where where the police have to be to be to be used and the problems that come with that? I see that as a perfectly you know reasonable conversation to have. Unfortunately, it's it seems to me that these people are ex- exceptionally bad at packaging political ideas if they want to use language like defund the police. And their first example of that is Minneapolis, which actually seems like defunding the police entirely. Um, is that popular? I don't think. It will be. But then again, I was surprised to find out that those numbers that we see, um, you know, people supporting the protests are over 50 percent, which and think that the police have had, you know, taken a heavy hand with these. Th- that's also quite popular. So I was surprised that both of the the protests and the skepticism of the police, which I think has been, you know, something that we've all um, had for many years, is actually popular. And I'm, I'm glad I'm glad in a lot of ways uh, to see it but it, it's astonishing how bad they are at these things if they think that the way of smuggling these ideas into the mainstream is to actually call it to fund the police because that's that's actually bad for them but i think what wh- where we we saw that become the dominant you know narrative of what we want was that there's a there's a moment in these early parts of these movements and you see it in and i made the me too as an analogous movement uh, before i think you see it in me too too is that at the beginning people are really testing the outer limits and they're not getting a lot of pushback of like what we want this. And you say things and people are scared. They don't know what's going on. And they just say yes. And essentially defund the police became, I don't think as we've talked about on the show, that's definitely, I don't think it would be a popular idea amongst black Americans. I mean, the idea of course, among, you know, annoying white Uh, liberals to be very specific about it is that they think black Americans speak and think with one voice and one block. And that's why we talk about black Americans in these ways. So So I don't know if that's popular. You know, we talked about that, that interesting book, um, black silent majority about the, you know, war on crime stuff that was driven so, so so much in the seventies and eighties by people within black communities who were tired of, of the violence and the crime in their own neighborhoods. And I, I wonder right now, um, when we see a weekend in Chicago that we haven't seen since 60 years, I think that was the highest death count in 60 years. In one weekend, 80 people were shot. Or was it one day? 80 people were shot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's astonishing. So I don't know how you go there and say, I think the solution to this problem is to defund the police. And I think Joe Biden would be an absolute fool to think that that is a, a winning idea amongst mainstream Democrats and sort of on the fence uh, uh, centrists.
1: From what I saw today, and this is just people saying it on Twitter who are journalists, I didn't click through the links, but that uh, the sitting plan that Joe Biden has having to do with police involves increasing federal funding for local police departments by like three hundred and twenty seven million dollars. (laughs) It's not a defund. And, And like if you wanted to pivot to a get rid of some of the most egregious funding mechanisms for police that distort their incentives, which frankly is you know, 15 words instead of three, um, I think I think people would be into that. Like, red light cameras are super unpopular the entire globe over, and especially the United States, because people understand that this is a way to fund the police that uh, it sucks, and they don't like it, right? Um, uh, it, the civil asset forfeiture, to the extent that people know about it, they're horrified that police, local police budgets... Uh, sometimes really uh, significant degrees of their funding comes from that. I think those will be saleable. I think just the idea of somehow defunding the police, like after you defund the police, then what? Um, you have this sort of public safety issue. Like in New York, where where uh, um, at least Moynihan and I live, um, uh, the public school system has gone through this thing of like, well, we got to get rid of get the cops out of the public schools. Um, because of the racisms um, and like, man, if um, I, I'm not a huge fan of having cops in public schools. I don't think cops in schools is a good look. Um, they're there because of school shootings to be clear. Um, and so people are worried about that. Um, and, you know, maybe some other uh, structural incentives, but like, if you actually see the cops, um, they are probably not the racists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the black lady cops at by, uh, my eldest daughter's schools. It's the sweetest guy in the world who's a who's a, uh, uh, a Latino uh, cop at uh, at my uh, uh, youngest daughter's school. Like to say that in the name of racism, like you can make an argument in the name of, of like power and we shouldn't have people with guns doing this. All right. That's a, that that is an argument. But to um, to make every argument. Uh, constantly about uh, the racism of people who work in institutions, institutions that are staffed in New York's case by predominantly non-white people. Um, So that's a little bit awkward. Um, And, you know, to pretend that there's going to be any place outside of the uh, Capitol Hill autonomous zone in Seattle. By the way, shout out to those people. I can't wait to visit Chaz. That looks great. Um, I'm excited like, to see what happens, to be honest, because I don't live there. It's great. <laughs> well, Moynihan, what was the name of that place like in uh, Scandinavia somewhere? Some kind of like Fredonia? Oh, you know, uh, Christi- uh, Christiania. Fredonia,
2: Fried- Fried- by the way, is in a Marx Brothers movie. Christiania is a place <laughs> in uh, Copenhagen. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, it says, yeah, it, it like, says uh, you're now
2: leaving the European Union, and it's just a bunch of hippies smoking weed.
1: Bunch of hippies who, who like have like weird, you know, drug gangs and it's all screwed up. We did a feature on that in Reason early in my uh, tenure there. But like uh, you defund the police. OK, uh, great. Now who's doing public safety? <laughs> it's, it's, like, there's going to be an entity that does public safety afterwards everywhere. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think that's going to catch fire in the whole country. I saw Olivia opening her mouth. Maybe it was just a spit, spit on us.
3: No, I mean, I just don't, I don't really, I, maybe you're right that the slogan is off-putting, but most of the details I've seen of what it actually means does not mean to dismantle police departments or to get rid of uh, police in general patrolling uh, a neighborhood or a town. It, it means to rethink the way that you deploy police in a community and Mm -hmm. rethink whether or not they should be handling things that maybe police aren't necessary for. Maybe you could use a social worker for instead. So I don't think that that's a radical. No, I agree.
2: But call it, but, but why not call it rethink policing?
3: That doesn't really have the same ring to it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> defund policing has a ring to it and people run in the other direction because most of the people I know... Well, we don't know that but, yet, though.
3: Oh, but- we don't know that yet, but I mean, I do... I think the fact that 60% of the country agrees with Tom Cotton to send in the military is probably right. an indication that yeah. most of the country is not going to go for this idea.
0: Yeah. At, at a minimum, there's a great deal of confusion about what this means, and it's certainly the case that some people say defund the police... There are members of the Black Lives Matter faction that have said explicitly abolish the police. Right. Um, and right. And certainly, we saw with that that dust up um, with uh, what's his his last name is Ferry, right? Uh, Mayor Ferry, um, who was or is it Fry? Oh, in in Minneapolis. Mayor Ferry. Yeah. Yeah. Mayor Ferry. Right, is it Fry? Let's call him. I don't Mayor. know. I don't know. I like he's always wearing a mask, and he looks like he's twelve fairy. years old. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just, let's yeah.
0: call Mayor Perry. Yeah. He, he looks like he's nine. But he was giving that impassioned speech and talking about all of the work he still needs to do personally and how difficult this is for him. And um, But there's definitely a lot of racism and we need to fix this. And they take the mic away from him and they say, will you support defunding the police? We don't want men with guns shooting us down in our community. What don't you understand about this? Will you do it or not? And he responds, I do not favor abolishing the police department and they tell him in no uncertain terms because it's hard to get this confused, get the fuck out of here. You get out of here. Um, His walk of shame is actually one of the most astonishing things I have ever seen in American politics. I mean, just humiliating. And he's still doing TV. He's doing (laughs) media again now after that. If it was me, I would have resigned from office. Actually, if it was me, I would say, make me leave. Y'all, y'all going to have to make me leave? I'm the mayor, I'm not going anywhere.
1: Um, I mean, but he left like, God to get to be, out of Appalachia, motherfucker.
3: I mean, you have to be mentally ill to want to be a politician. Yeah, like, that's no exactly other right. Explanation. <laughs> there's no other explanation for why anyone would to subject themselves to anything like this, this type of humiliation.
1: Ugh,
3: or media, just, I guess. You have to be mentally ill to be in is, media. Yeah.
0: Well, at, at a minimum, it, it is... Clear that there has been a lot of legislative activity specifically related to police reform. We know that a friend of the podcast, former guest Justin Amash, former presidential candidate, former unfortunately, Very briefly. <laughs> um, uh, has has his own his own piece of legislation um, that he's proposed. Uh, there is a piece of legislation that Democrats seem to have coalesced around, which includes a lot of things, it's far-reaching, and maybe Mr. Welch, you'd be able to give us some color on that. Um, it, it, It is pretty astonishing, both the speed with which Black Lives Matter has sort of come to the fore and become the center of American politics during a period when, you know, we were pretty distracted by the pandemic and now we're focused on this, but also the speed with which legislation has come into being. Um, legislation that falls short, perhaps, of interpretations of what the fund the police might be. Um, But a lot of this does seem like good things for people who have been generally in favor of criminal justice reform for a while. Um, Mm. There's certainly some differences of opinion. Uh, DeRay McKesson, who's also a previous guest on this podcast, is someone who's been advocating for some perhaps more modest reforms. But actually, I think most of those ideas are pretty good. Um, as have a lot of the ideas that DeRay has pushed specifically in terms of policy reforms, actually been quite good and good in the sense that they are things that might actually get passed um, and good in the sense that they're
2: specific and gettable. But isn't that why DeRay is getting, getting beaten up? I mean, you pointed me to this the other day. Well, he's, he's getting beat up because he's not, it seems
0: pushing for a much more radical agenda. And I think that's just it. It's an amazing accomplishment that, Black Lives Matter is kind of the center of American politics. What is less than clear is who's really in charge and what the agenda is and what it, what exactly they hope to accomplish. If initially the protests were about justice for George Floyd, the guys have been charged and they're arrested. So we're beyond that now. If it's now about police reform, what does that look like and what kind of reform actually satisfies people? I guess a question for the group is, what do you make of the competing approaches to trying to get something done here. It seems like it is virtually impossible that something doesn't get passed very soon. Um, but what what's the approach here? Is is what the Democrats are doing generally very serious? Because it looks like they're trying to do kind of everything all at once. Um, and something a bit more piecemeal might actually be a little bit more effective.
1: One of the things about uh, criminal justice reform over the past six years in the wake of Ferguson um, is that the vast majority of it has been on the state and local level. People mm. um, over federalize their view of politics because that's an easier story. You know, bad man says this good man says that. And, uh, and it's a way to kind of have, you know, what say you about this thing that's sweeping the nation. Um, but in fact, what we've seen from, you know, Dallas, Texas, to uh, places in Louisiana, all kinds of places that you wouldn't necessarily expect um, is that you've had reformist uh, DAs uh, elected. Brooklyn had a reformist DA elected who ended up dying, sadly. Um, I'll give one example of a thing that happened that was good. Uh, It happened uh, yesterday, today. New York uh, legislature, which does almost nothing good ever. Terrible place. Um, They repealed... Uh, police secrecy laws called like mm-hmm. 50A yeah. or something yeah. like that, yeah. which was like the New York is a big government union state. Um, and so uh, and it's also uh, has all these kind of by now antiquated laws set up during the progressive era in the name of governmental reform, but then ends up 100 years later being kind of a way to uh, feather bed all kinds of government corruption. You know, the, just think of the Port Authority for example, which was supposed to, it was founded as a way to reform and liberate good governance away from corruption. How much did that work out? Um, but anyways, um, they repealed this police secrecy law that allowed for bad apples, repeat offenders in uh, the NYPD and elsewhere to not be found. Um, and that was done. Um, so I think you will see much of it on the state and local level and that stuff. And I've said this before, but it's always worth highlighting that stuff has been agitated for by a mix of uh, religious conservatives over de- over the decades, really, uh, super progressive lefties and libertarians and civil libertarians. They've been like getting together and figuring out how to do this stuff. Koch and Soros have been agreeing on criminal. I justice I mean, it, st- it started
2: with Chuck Colson. I mean, after Chuck Colson yes. went
1: to jail for Watergate
2: and comes out, you know, more evangelical and and more interested in criminal justice re- re- reform. Comra- Conrad Black. Went to prison and came out yep. a, a criminal justice. I mean, look, it's kind I mean, of easy. Bernie nothing, Carrick. <laughs> Bernie Carrick, right? I mean, nothing yeah.
3: makes somebody more in favor exactly. of criminal justice for men going to prison, right? Exactly. So Bernie Carrick. Well, I, Bernie Carrick's the best example. Possibly, I, Carrick but, is a
2: scumbag, but but I will say that Chuck Colson yeah. actually did do a lot uh, where, where yes, he Carrick, did. Carrick didn't. Much. He's just an asshole.
3: Right. But I mean, you're right. I mean, it's been very interesting. It's been interesting to see criticisms from people like Tucker Carlson of the Trump administration for criminal justice reform, because some of these people just hate Jared Kushner so much that it seems to color <laughs> color their interpretation of yeah. like anything that Jared has anything to do with. Um, mm. But you're right. I mean, I always think about, I mean, Texas is such a fascinating case study about Republicans, um, you know, taking this reforming to doing a, a total 180 on criminal justice reform and rick perry who killed more texans than i think any other governor uh, he is a, a murderer i think <laughs> and yet he was he oversaw the closure of multiple prisons and was a champion of uh, lowering the recidivism rates and uh you know did some really interesting things on criminal justice so i think it's a, it's like one of those issues that um It's not always the people that you would expect. I mean, who would have thought that the Trump administration would Mm -hmm. have passed something like the First Step Act, right? And and most liberals don't, I think, want to give uh, any credit (laughs) to Trump for having done that and and almost choose to ignore it. But I, I think it's objectively, it was a good thing.
2: So how do you, like, yeah. in your, in reporting about this and, you know, you know, you talk to a lot of people in the administration, which some point I hope we we can very briefly discuss why they still talk to you, which I, like, I still can't figure <laughs> oh, yeah. out why, like, why does Rudy yeah. Giuliani still answer, answer. <laughs> your text messages? He's like, ah, oh, fuck it, one My more time, math. one more time. I'll just do it, like, well, <laughs> this will be funny. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but they do, like, how, d- d- is there any coherence <laughs> at all or even a plan that's incoherent of how to deal with this stuff? You know, from not, not only I mean, as the administration or as the campaign, because I mean, you saw very early Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity coming out and saying this is bad. I was like, wait, really? They usually go in and defend these guys. So there was a kind of a universal, even amongst the 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 shithead um, right, like the, the the sort of talk radio right, which no matter what Trump says, they slavishly follow along in that sort of slobbering, sycophantic way. But now I just wonder, like, what is the administration saying? What kind of noises are they making? Because Trump on his own is tweeting out insane conspiracy theories. And I don't don't know if anyone internally is like, "This, you can't do this. If there's some point at which somebody will actually intervene. I keep on thinking that's going to happen. It never does. But what is the response? I mean, is there some, like, is there a war room even happening of, like, how we're going to respond to what's going on in the streets of America right now?
3: No, I think you know Trump looks at his poll numbers. he's following that very closely. He's obsessed with the election, obviously as you probably would be if he were the incumbent. but he is more transparent about it than most politicians would be because he doesn't care about like decorum, right um, And I you know there I think it's Kelly Conway who always says that there are people in the White House who are just the good news people who just go into the Oval Office and tell Trump, Things that he wants to hear and then there are people who go to him and say more difficult things um and you know i was talking to someone today who works there who's saying oh yeah i shut down tweets all the time you have no idea I'm constantly telling oh, him, no. No, no, don't tweet that. And, and so then the question is, like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> Who was like, like yeah,
0: do the conspiracy, conspiracy about the old guy? <laughs> Who said yes to the conspiracy but, theory? You know,
3: <laughs> but, you know, some of his craziest tweets in history, like I have learned, I, you know, I remember talking to a senior White House official who, when when Trump was first tweeting conspiracies about Joe Scarborough um, killing his constituent services director, um, which is not funny, and you shouldn't laugh, um, that uh, that tweet was actually workshopped. Like, Um, people in the White House talked to Trump about one day sending that tweet out. Like, that that was like a draft (laughs) that he sent out. So it wasn't like a spur of the moment. I know I saw... Scarborough being an asshole on Morning Joe today I'm gonna I'm gonna accuse him of this typing it out thing it was like something that he said well one day you know what I'm, I'm like paraphrasing one day it would be funny or it would be good to to send a tweet like this out and he wow. they drafted one so a lot of these things amazing. where it just seems like he's uh without any And that no one can control him. This is actually the product of him being controlled, which is like way scarier
2: (laughs) to consider. It it is amazing Um, to me, like we criticize liberals and say, oh, liberals live in a bubble. It's like the president of the United States lives in the ultimate bubble that he's actually workshopping something about a, a morning MSNBC host that no one in the country actually gives a shit about. Like that's the bubble that this guy lives in and it's a psychotic bubble. And it's like kind of scary that like, let's talk- it's I mean, all that he cares about. It's all that he cares about. I know, yeah.
3: But it's, it's literally all that he cares about is TV and TV ratings. Yeah. And when he talks to his like outside kitchen cabinet- that's what they talk about. He like gossip. He has like, he talks about media gossip. Mm. So we essentially, you know, have elected somebody who like really in another life should have worked for page six.
2: Yeah. He's the Richard Johnson. Of the White House. Yeah. yeah. So.
3: And it's, it's fascinating. I mean, he, I mean, White. remember
2: we, we tend to forget this, but this is a man that, and, and a friend of mine that I've mentioned in the show who, who worked, for the entire run, very, very close with uh, with Trump um, during The uh, Apprentice that would give out autographed ratings sheets unsolicited. People would come in and he would take ratings off the desk, autograph them and give them to people. They were like, wait, what? Like, I mean, can I get like, can I get like one of those uh, pencils that says Trump International on it? Like it's crazy. I mean, the man is mentally ill. <laughs> Olivia, I have a question that
0: I that I have to ask yeah. now then because I saw the news today, as we all have, that the president is planning to get back out there on the road, um, unless there is some mm-hmm. sort of change, perhaps like a very very serious spike in COVID um, that actually makes folks clamp down again. And remember that there is some sort of pandemic situation. But next week, next Friday, it looks like, which I believe is Juneteenth, uh, and if you don't know what that is, you're a racist monster, and I'm sorry (laughs) for you. Uh, But Tulsa, Oklahoma, President of the United States is supposed to be there for a Mm. campaign event. This would be his first campaign event since like March second, is what I believe is true. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Again, sue me if I'm Mm. wrong. Um, There are people who are suggesting that this is a strategic choice that he is deliberately trying to inflame racial tensions because Tulsa, Oklahoma, as many will know, is the site of a very infamous um, anti-black attack um, that left many, many people dead and destroyed a prominent, prosperous, predominantly black city. Um, You would know whether or not there's any sort of scheming taking place, or at least you might be best positioned to know if anyone could know outside of the White House. Is there any reason to think that there is some truth to something like that? And is there perhaps any reason to think that there might be truth to it in the sense that the president actually hopes to do something good, like go and mention Juneteenth in Tulsa, Oklahoma next week?
3: I mean... I don't know that I think there's any way that that could be good if he did that. Like, what? I, I don't think he would do it in like a healing way. I, don't, I mean, I don't have any reporting that confirms uh, or refutes that theory that I've seen floating around today too. Um, but I, I think with this type of stuff, it's always possible that there is some kind of sinister advisor or staffer who uh, cooks up something um, and, and presents it to Trump. Uh, almost in a a Roger Stone type of way um, Mm -hmm. as, you know, a clever scheme um, that would draw, create a lot of controversy. But I would be absolutely fucking shocked if Trump knew what Juneteenth was like before today. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, beyond, um, beyond the just sort of general, Beyond the specific stuff that's happening with respect to cr- criminal justice reform, again, I, I alluded to this earlier before my connection went bad. The general sense about like how we've arrived at this place where you know, Black Lives Matter is kind of at the, the center of our politics, the entire conversation has shifted in a way, and most of the country seems to be focused on this in a way that they weren't before. And many people have essentially pledged to take this issue, the issues that they're particularly concerned about much more seriously. Um, uh, There's a a story that you wrote about a man who found himself at the center of uh, this, this online Twitter mob who had been misidentified as someone Mm -hmm. from a video who was attempting to assault a child. Could you give us a little bit of context on what happened there and what happened to this man who found himself in this miserable case of mistaken identity.
3: Yeah, it's funny. I, um, as you said, it's a case of mistaken identity, but our culture is such right now that I keep waiting for this guy who is innocent to be like milkshake ducks and should be in trouble should be in trouble for like not having known that he did something else horrible yeah. that that people yeah, yeah. discover um but his name is Peter Weinberg um he's like a, a financial um communications guy um who works at hedge funds and um he just was working from home uh on the la- on I think it was June 5th when he suddenly started getting these irate messages via his LinkedIn. Um, And he thought that they were spam at first, but it turned out that he was identified by like Twitter detectives as the person in this viral video, this guy in spandex (laughs) on this little bicycle um, assaulting uh, a girl who was putting up black lives matter posters um, in Bethesda right outside of DC. And based on some Bad information from police who said that the assault had taken place uh, on the wrong day initially when they were crowdsourcing mm. for help, um, and based on his data from a, an exercise app being available public, he was wrong. He was wrongly identified, and people were threatening him, sharing his you know doxing him, sharing his address, uh, and trying to get him fired from his job until he was able to uh, you know get the police and the Maryland Attorney General to release statements saying that he was not the suspect and they ultimately arrested somebody else. But I kind of watched this unfold in real time. Um, and, you know, I reached out to him when it was still not clear whether or not he had committed um, the assault. And you know, I asked him if it was him. And then i I spoke to him for a couple of days as he was kind of dealing with the aftermath, and it really fucked him up like it's it's completely insane to have something like that happen to you to have thousands of people calling you a racist and and mm-hmm. accusing you of, of uh you know beating children in the park and wearing spandex. I think that was like the most offensive part. <laughs> of the guy who actually did it um it was horrible looking um but you know i I just I think it's kind of just. I was talking about cancel culture, um, you know, when I was first, uh, sharing the story and a lot of people were, were trying to like yell at me and say, Oh, you're conflating two different things. You know, this is just, this is mob justice gone wrong. This isn't cancel culture. And it's like, no, no, this is the same exact, <laughs> same uh, impulse. It's the same thing. It's all it's inspired by the same, um, you know, rabid search for, uh, you know, for justice. And, and, uh, it's just, uh, it's a really scary time to like have any social media profile whatsoever.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I asked about that because it really does feel as though the, the rapid ascension of black lives matter and the rapid shifting of our political focus nationally is something that is only possible because of the technological landscape and the degree to which we're all connected, and perhaps also because of the the foregrounding of a global pandemic that has us all trapped in our homes and has people sort of yeah. on edge after months of just anxiety. A single story can take our national focus and amplify things in a way that creates a massive movement out of thin air, seemingly, and really does seem to just kind of shift the entire access of our political landscape, but also the the media landscape as well. I mean, we, we talked a little bit earlier about, and we have talked last week as well, about the shakeup that's taking place in a lot of newsrooms, and we've seen the exits of a number of high profile um, people at prominent publications, including the New York Times, where our friend Barry Weiss, who we talked to not too long ago about this, but who we talked about last week, um, was... Um, And the publication of stories this week, including one by Ben Smith, where Wes Lowry, among many other folks, are mentioned, but Wes Lowry sort of talks early in that piece about what is becoming seemingly a a new philosophical focus for a lot of newsrooms where they're kind of leading with their values um, as opposed to putting the priority on affecting. Objectivity in their reporting?
3: I think, you know, it's interesting. The conversation around the time of Ferguson, I think, was whether or not um, it was okay for reporters to have a point of view publicly, whether or not it was okay for them to say something was right or wrong, um, to come down on one side or the other politically. And now the conversation, um, at least on Twitter, um, seems to be about whether or not it's acceptable for people in media to try to remain neutral um, or <laughs> to, to not speak out about um, the issues that people are protesting about. And it's that's just both there, sides there,
1: is, olivia you, so Olivia <laughs> cop <it's>, to it,
3: <laughs> but it's, this very interesting shift. That's been very um, swift, I think. And on the one hand, I'm, I'm, I am in agreement with Wesley Lowry. I think, you know, I come from uh, magazines. Obviously, I don't think that objectivity is achievable or desirable. Um, I think it's you know absolute bullshit to think that any reporter um, could uh, you know suppress their own uh, bias to to be fully objective. We all obviously have um, you know a point of view based on you know how where we're from and and, uh, how we were raised and uh all these different factors but on the other hand i think there is it's almost like this misdirected um donner party (laughs) mentality where instead of focusing on uh you know covering the story at hand or um you know, focusing on how you feel about the, the politics externally in Washington, or, or people in power, you're looking at your neighbor, or your colleague, and trying to figure out whether or not um they they should be trusted. And uh, I I don't know. It's just it's just very um, it's this kind of paranoid environment that we're in suddenly where there are people paranoid that they're going to be uh, the target of the mob. And then there are people paranoid that there are people in their midst who uh, are, you know, part of this hateful structure, this systemic um, structure of oppression. It, it, and it seems like everyone is worried for different reasons.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I never understood why we we were so obsessed with this, false idea of objectivity amongst journalists, and particularly when you look at the media culture in places like England, where it just doesn't really exist. And, you know, papers are not conservative and liberal based entirely on their editorial positions. That is also the case, too. But The Guardian covers lefty kind of stories. The Telegraph covers righty kind of stories and that's just the way it is. I mean, it used to be that... The
3: Daily Mail covers like, the best mothers stories. eating their young. <laughs> Literally,
2: the only things that I care about now is what the Daily Mail reports. I was like, oh. Who still
1: has the page three girls? That's well, all uh, I nobody, care Nobody, actually. Those are all gone. Which, yeah,
2: <sighs> not, I mean, not allowed We lost the culture map. Um, but but it is, it is... like I totally agree. It's like, just just go... I mean, you can't... It's a, such an industry, though. Imagine the number of people would be out of work in D.C. if we all just decided that that was no longer... Longer a thing. I mean, how is Brent Bozell gonna gonna you know feed his children when he can't get a journalist in a gotcha moment saying something that they actually believe about a party or a exactly right. I mean, Brent Bozell is like a thing of the past. Um, yeah. uh, what was it? Newsbusters. Was that the, is that the thing he does now? The media uh, MRC, the media research center. It was the right wing version yeah. of the, uh, of media matters. I mean, media matters was inspired by, by these right wing versions in the eighties that would go around saying this, that liberal media and catch people saying these things in which they actually said, this is what I believe in to which the obvious response should be. So did you think they didn't have ideas? They didn't vote. But I think the, the, the thing that kind of creeps me out about all of this stuff now is is particularly because it's it's not so much of like we need balance of opinions not in an individual we need to have them be balanced be down the middle the idea of having balance in like let's get like a a series of ideas from different people is something that offends these days because i think it just makes journalism and makes reading things more interesting i always liked when I was younger reading the newspaper when I was growing up. I would hate read um, the people that I couldn't stand. I mean, there was a guy at the Boston Globe called Derek Z. Jackson who was very radical, and and I used to love (laughs) hate reading him. And, you know, that's g- goes away. I mean, the thing that I think strange about it in the, in the connection between things like HBO Max, which is now HBO Go, is not going to play... No, no, HBO Go is now HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, <laughs> they're not going to play Gone with the Wind. And there's uh, right. um, a bunch of people that come out and say, like, that's crazy. And then the counter-reaction is even harder to say, oh, come on, really? This is a thing that defends everybody? It's like, no, no, you're you're, you're missing the point is that stop trying to eliminate bad ideas. Stop trying to eliminate uh, like visions from the past of bad ideas. Because people are sensible enough living now to go back and watch something and say, God, that is kind of crazy. That's really outdated, isn't it? My daughter says that about things, and she's nine. We don't need these commissars coming around and saying, you can't see it. Because if you see it, Mm -hmm. you might think that that's the way things were. That kind of instinct is what I think is governing all of these movements now of like, we can't have like wrong think in, in, you know, I, I hate to, 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 you know, lurch towards Orwellianism, but it is kind of crazy that like, I mean, that Barry Wise, the, you know, as I just, I think I described her on the Patreon, but like She's the lesbian woman who left the Wall Street Journal because it was too pro-Trump, is an evil hate figure. And when you see (laughs) the actual tweets, like, you know, the tweet was, you know, the first big scandal was she tweeted that she liked immigrants. And she, she, and she used the <laughs> Hamilton song and she misquoted it. She, 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 got, yeah, they, she got the quote slightly but wrong. She wasn't yeah. actually an immigrant. Like, you yeah, know, but you know what she was saying? She was like, her family came and that's great because we like immigrants in America. It's like, is she, no, seriously? That's what, that's what Himmler said. And it's like, what, what? Why are you guys <laughs> sniffing out these little, you know, heterodox opinions that are so banal and boring? And if they want to police their editorial page that way, Great. No one gave a shit about it beforehand, and they're not going to give a shit about it now. But I think that the sort of overall kind of feeling in the culture now is that there's good ideas and, and not, uh, there's just wrong ideas. If you have them, if you well, come in contact with them, you have to call the police or call 311
0: that that sounds right and matt i I wonder I want
2: you to to perhaps try to answer
0: the question but I'd like to give a, a slightly different context because I'm remembering something I saw um, our friend Thomas uh, Chatterton Williams tweet uh, about this same story um and when Thomas was parsing it you know it was the same question about like objectivity and the obsession with objectivity and sort of presenting both sides of the story but i I think what what Wesley had actually suggested was, or Wes, um, that I think he, the quote here is, we need to rebuild our industry as one that operates from a place of moral clarity. And Thomas's pushback is that moral clarity is always something that is in the eye of the beholder, that that is perhaps replacing one form of objectivity obsession with another form of objectivity obsession, except this one is... We know what is right. We will be prescriptive with with respect to what we're printing and reporting, with who we're willing to publish. And I think what ends up getting lost is precisely what ended up happening with the Tom Cotton op-ed, which is while I might think personally, Camille Foster, that it is a bad idea to deploy troops in New York City to corral protesters and stop them the notion that this simply cannot be printed because it is inherently dangerous to journalists of color, well, you haven't proven this assertion, you haven't bothered to, and no one is bothering to even ask questions or scrutinize it because you have the right ideas about this, because you are coming from a position of moral clarity. It isn't obvious that that sort of pivot from one sort of of objective notion to another sort of objective notion is actually much of an improvement for many newsrooms. In fact, in many respects, in my imagining, imagining it seems like a huge defect, like much, much worse than pretending that you can sort of call all balls and strikes fairly.
1: I think that there's an insight there and I I adored uh, Thomas's description and took nourishment from it. Uh, We are replacing factual objectivity, which to be clear, no one really has been like, Claiming or 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 like holding up as a virtue for like fifty years, people have been throwing darts at you know objective journalism since before I was born, and I am officially <laughs> old. I was born during the Lyndon Johnson administration. Jesus. I am not young, really. <laughs> hell, it's true. Yeah. Wow. Yikes. Yikes. Yikes! Come on. That is no, a- don't. That's not that nice. Is amazing. A little- um, what did you, like, did you, no, did but, you burn your draft cards like in public? It's <laughs> yeah, great. That's great. Uh, no, but like, but like, that's what the new journalism uh, like revolts and the, and uh, the uh, alternative journalism that arose radical, you know, free press stuff that came up in the sixties was like, dude, your objectivity is bullshit. If you you know read uh, Hell's Angels by Hunter Thompson, the first 75 pages of it is dismantling existing authoritative sounding either journalism or police reports and saying, this is crap. You don't know what your dog is, But just to be right?
2: clear so, that in new journalism, it was also quite fun of making things up, whether it was Hunter Thompson or Gail Sheehy or people like that. So it went correct, a little too far in the right direction.
1: Uh, very much so. But so like uh, it, it starts off with people with, with making the accurate point that objectivity is impossible. Um, and pretty much the people who made that argument won that argument and said, okay, but fairness is important. Right, like we can't pass every single choice. Margaret Sullivan had an uh, an insipid Michael. (laughs) Yeah, I think you could
2: say insane too. I didn't know where you were going with that. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) she had a
1: a column in the Washington Post a couple of days ago about all this. You hate her so much; it's amazing. I think she's a really, really bad columnist. I think she's one of the five to ten most. Overrated I love her. Columnists in America. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. so yeah.
3: lovely. Yeah. I, she's lovely, and I love her.
1: She's lovely in person, but in, like, on the page, she's terrible. I think she's thoughtful. Uh, so, uh, anyway, she was fighting against the straw man of people want the objective journalist. Like, no, uh, people want. Uh, And she pointed out rightly within that that every single choice that you make in journalism. What am I going to cover? Who am I going to talk to? What's the headline? All these are subjective. Uh, That's that's like self-evident. Um, but so it's to replace self-evident, that,
0: I don't know that most readers appreciate that. Readers do want that, and the and lots of publications advertise themselves as
2: delivering that. It, it is still not uh, Matt, Matt, I, Camille's right because not time. only do they not understand the that, truth is You hard. often see it underneath, like like you know a, a fucking uh, Brett Stevens or Charles Blow column. It's like yeah, really objective, and it's like it's
1: an opinion. Totally, column? how well, I see I mean, that they- all the time. It's like <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> how it works. MSNBC and CNN, both of which I can watch for about five minutes at a time. Um, uh, you will always have this like, you know, after Trump talks or after somebody they don't like talks, we'll say, you know, that's what this person said. But we're here about the facts. It's like yeah, Andrew Cuomo yeah, yeah. at his uh-huh. goddamn, a goddamn press conference yeah. every day. It's about facts. It's about science and truth um, <laughs> Like every day. Enough of this. Um, uh, and so we're going to we're going to fact check. this. But anyways, um, to I think it's right from within the journalism industry, let's say it was right to kind of bury the false god of objectivity and replace it with an attempt at fairness and like, a, a, like a, a fair-minded approach towards getting wherever you are and understanding your own biases. But to replace the rightfully uh, sort of uh, criticized uh, thing about objectivity, uh, factual objectivity, with a moral objectivity. That's what Thomas is getting at. And he's absolutely right about that because the moral questions underpinning this uh, have to be adjudicated or fought out um, in stuff that we don't know. So mm-hmm. I think that women should be equal. Does that mean I support the ERA amendment? That's a question. I think <laughs> that there shouldn't be discrimination. Does that mean I uh, support affirmative action? That's an open question. We don't know the answer to that question, or at least it's not immediately Uh, Apparent. What is the answer to that question? I think that black lives matter. Okay, so does that mean that I'm in favor of police unions or not? Like like the way that this comes out in policy, there isn't a single moral clarity. And what what uh, sticks in my crumb about a lot of the uh, discussion within the journalism industry about the Tom Cotton op-ed, particularly when people who defend the way The New York Times have more or less handled this by cashiering James Bennett and by all this stuff is the way that people said, well, you know what? It just, you know, it just wasn't factual enough. Oh yeah. So that's like, my really? favorite. Yeah. That's yeah. where you're going with this. Like, I mean, you know, there why, was a real movie. Why do you stick to the, uh, the original, like you're, you're threatening my, uh, my life, which is crap, but like at least stick to your initial guns of, I think this is a deplorable opinion to say that this, you know, suddenly we care about facts on the opinion page to a degree That, you know, they only moved the 1619 project to correct its factual errors six months later. Right. And Nicole Hanzo was right in the middle of like a a defenestrating James Bennett here. Um, It's not about facts. It really isn't. Um, I would be and and I tried to institute this with the L.A. Times. I think that op eds should be fact checked at like 5000 times more than they are currently. Um, it, it is a, a an ongoing kind of calamity of that, but don't dress this up as facts. There was a guy and sorry, I live in but Camille teed me up and it's his fault. Um, There's a guy who wrote a terrible column today. <laughs> you're on meth, man. At Vox. <laughs> i am he doesn't uh, care about da-
3: women's rights he cut
1: me off <laughs> obviously <laughs> named david roberts uh at vox he's still going basically
2: yeah just let him yeah, go yeah, he's yeah. canceled yeah anyways. no misogyny doesn't have an off button matt does it <laughs>
1: right. uh who is making the argument that we can't you know we that like in an era when the trumpist right no longer plays by the rules we can't uh, any longer abide by the normal liberal traditions of nurturing a public square because the broader truth is more important. And, you know, we've been shackling the New York Times for too long. They can't really call Trump the racist he is and that kind of stuff. In the midst of all of this stuff, and he's also like holding up the Tom Cotton is factually wrong, he says, he writes this sentence The Republican Party, as a fact, and like he doesn't support it with anything, the Republican Party has drifted further right than any major party. In the democratic world, Mm. period.
2: That is insane.
1: That's just a factual thing that we're talking he's, in our factual fact column about why Tom Cotton he's never, should not. He's be never been to Hungary, to make is he? Hungary is a pretty fun country uh, to go to. Go to Budapest. It's might find some uh, things there. So that all that all interests I'm sorry, Olivia. Go on. Oh
3: no, I, I don't remember what I was going to say. But... <laughs> she was. actually, <laughs> actually going to say, "I have but, to go." <laughs> but you know, I do have to go. No, but you know, it's interesting. I mean, this was always, I think, the threat of Trump to uh, liberals and liberal establishments. It's it's like any bully, um, the risk is that he will force you to uh, kind of degrade yourself uh, in his presence. And when I would always get so um, nervous to see reporters um, or, or news organizations um, changing the way that they behaved or the language that they used to deal with Donald Trump, because I think that the problem is trying to um, or allowing him to force you into behaving in a way that you wouldn't ordinarily behave. And that's true for other politicians who are trying to go against him. Um, and it's true for, for people having a debate, uh, an intellectual debate uh, in, in, on op-ed pages or on cable TV or whatever. Um, but you know, I think it's interesting, the goalposts were moved so many times with the Tom Cotton op-ed, where first it was, I hate this op-ed, I disagree with it, it puts black lives mm-hmm. in danger. Right. And then the next day when it was fact checked again, I guess it was, Oh, this wasn't factual enough. Right. And then it became, Oh, actually James Bennett's an asshole. And we just want to get rid of him because he's fucked up too many times. Mm -hmm. Right um so it was it was kind of like every time that you thought that you were having a debate about one thing it became about something it was like oh no you're wrong you're talking about the wrong thing now actually we've all moved on to james bennett's an asshole Mm -hmm. and you don't have the facts on that and so you can't take part in this conversation right it just kept changing when really it was that people thought that it was a dangerous wrong opinion i just think as a journalist and matt you wrote about this in your column which i thought was brilliant and i i'm uh, you know, paraphrasing something that I tweeted that I got uh, semi-canceled for when this first came out. But as a journalist, I just don't think that it's possible um, to, be- I think that you should always believe that sunlight is the best disinfectant for public officials and what they think. And uh, Tom Cotton having this opinion in on Breitbart or on Fox News or on his Twitter account um, does not make it a safer opinion, does not make anyone safer uh, then and having him debated in the mainstream press, um, and where he might it might be uh, seen by people who ordinarily would not know about this opinion, would not know that sixty percent of the country agrees with Tom Cotton. Um, I think that, that that makes people safer. People can debate it that way. People who disagree with him can say why it's wrong, why it's stupid to deploy the military, why the police why police shouldn't be uh, militarized. Uh, I just think it's it's not possible to believe. That, uh, you know, we should know more about how public officials think and uh, why they think what they think and also believe that words are a form of violence. They're just not. Yeah, and that, that is increasingly
2: yeah. a common opinion. And, you know, to exactly what Olivia said, someone tweeted at me that, that and I think I said it, um, you know, talking about Barry was that when Barry is saying the exact same things at The Wall Street Journal, nobody cared. Um, but because you it's, don't read the Wall Street Journal, exactly, and it's like when you're, you're doing it in our house now, and that's different. So those those uh, those opinions being out there, which which gets to like Wes Lowry's uh, idea of like I want a sort of moral type of journalism, to which the obvious response to this is if you want if you want to go out there and just tub thump about you know, your opinions about what this should be and lace it through your column or have the Chiron button at CNN that says without evidence. You know, it's always like without, Trump says without evidence. (laughs) It's like, yeah, of course. It's like, it's just a little tedious at this point. But if you want to do that, there are outlets for it, right? Go right from Mother Jones. That's fine. You can go right here. You can go right there. The point, the the problem is, is that they they overestimate the importance of the New York Times because of the world that they live in. It's like Tom Cotton is in the New York Times Polluting America because um, it's the the real paper of record in America with these ideas. So, well, why don't you go write for the, the newly reconstituted TNR or the Nation or, or Mother Jones? Say, it's just like because they don't need
3: this conversation to be having. Like, who does this affect? Who does the New York Times op-ed page affect? Like. No, that's what and, I'm saying. A couple of people, yeah, a couple of people who are on Twitter and who all want to work for the New mm. York Times. No, that's right, what I'm saying. Right? I, I
2: mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm on the side that it's, that it's a dumb ladies' conversation be, because when somebody says, like, well, we have to have this type of journalism, just go do that. That's fine. Like, no, 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 but I have to stay where I am because I have to educate the American people on the things that are right. I'm like, yeah, but no one's no, reading you. He
3: left, but he left. The no, no, of course, I think it's unfair to talk about Wesley Lowry in this context. No, no,
2: it's a common idea. I didn't mean to, to single him yeah. out, but that idea of like, you know, as, as you said in the in this, in this the Trump era, let's be sort of more smash mouth about what is real and what is false and saying this is true in the headline and Donald Trump said that something is false, which most of the time I think it, it strikes me as self-evident what is, what is true and what is false. But, you know, anyway.
0: Well, we we we've been going for a little while, so we should probably um, start to start to reel this in a bit. I mean, one one question that comes to mind, just given the somewhat alarming state of affairs in the United States, um, we've got the pandemic and the current just general unrest and uncertainty that's facing the country. Um, I wonder, given the just kind of extraordinary nature. Of what's happened in terms of the transition in our politics and the degree to which things just feel kind of unresolved and unsettled, um, the the really extraordinary demonstrations that we saw um, last week, which may have left on with the sense that you know it's not clear which direction things are headed in, um, I was wondering to myself if all of this might have been possible under any other administration, and it certainly not unclear to me that had Hillary Clinton won, however the previous three years had gone, imaginably we wouldn't have had, you know, the the Russia Gate situation, but maybe everything else would have been the same, but even if it was better. Once you're in the midst of this pandemic and then you have the George Floyd situation happen, and presumably there would have been no major criminal justice reform, perhaps not even the First Step Act, but in either case is it imaginable that we would still have seen the same scale of demonstrations and the same level of outrage and upset? Um, I mean, honestly, I wonder if we would have even seen the like the women's March or me too broadly. Like I'm not sure. And did you need those things to get to now?
3: I think you needed Trump's election to activate a lot of the activist movements uh, of the last three years. I don't think that there would have been a Me Too movement without Donald Trump's election. There certainly mm-hmm. would have been, would not have been a Women's March, right? That was a direct response the day following his inauguration. Yeah.
1: Um,
3: but I think, I mean, it, it strikes me whenever there's some new story about like murder hornets or like some horrible weather <laughs> to be expecting, and you think about it in terms of you know impeachment and all these different things that have happened. I'm like, wow, this is really a Case that there is an interventionist God, and they're just like waving their this God is waving <laughs> his hands, trying to get everyone's attention. Um, no, I, I don't think that you would be seeing this if it if it weren't for who's in the White House. And I don't think you know everything that he has done in response to all of this has uh, just seemed to result in in more outrage and and more demonstrations. Yeah. And, uh, and because everything that uh, happens in and around this White House gets so much attention, because Donald Trump mm-hmm. gets so much attention, even this was true before he was president, um, I think it's kind of, it amplifies everything even further. Um, and, you know, there is a sense, I was outside the White House um, on the Monday that they used the tear gas. And, you know, I've been covering Trump since 2014. That was when I first interviewed him. Um, mm-hmm. And I've covered him, you know, pretty much every day since he announced his campaign, which is why I'm like absolutely have lost my mind. Um, and <laughs> I, um,
0: you see more sane you know, I've, than I've, most. Co- I've
3: I've, I've, I've <laughs> covered like a lot of crazy shit with him, right? And I've covered a lot of like just him saying deranged things or things that I know to be false, or that any sane thinking person knows to be false. But I had been tear gassed that Monday. And I was tear gasped again the following night in a, in a closer range um, when I was covering the protests. And I, the, my clothes and, and my, I was covering with my boyfriend, both of our clothes had gotten so much tear gas on them that even the following day when we were trying to figure out what to do with our clothes, um, it was causing us to get like rashes and it you know made me really sick. And there was something about experiencing that while watching you know, Attorney General Barr Say that there was no tear gas, or watching mm-hmm. them use the the park, the police, uh, the park department to uh try yeah. and say that you know there was. They just used uh, pepper irritants or whatever the smoke fuck they called it, smoke pellets. Right, yeah. they used pepper bombs or whatever the hell they were called um before they finally admitted it was tear gas. There was something so uh-huh. like special and insane about that. Like while I'm like dry heaving from this, that it it's still I, I I don't know it's it's amazing to me that he has the, the capacity to do things that even after all this time make me stop and say like what the fuck <laughs> and that's that's more a, of a tangent than, uh, than I wanted to go on but it's just been something I've been thinking about like that after you know six years covering this fucking guy that I'm I mean, still <laughs> I, wouldn't,
1: I wouldn't have the Keel in your voice after having this, uh, described that I mean if I'm tear gassed I mean, uh-huh. get it like and in then, the face, and then, right? But
3: like, I want to be clear, like, I. If like, I experienced you know, tear like, gas, not, which
1: I try to avoid right. as a general uh, proposition, <laughs> and then hear the people who, who ordered it lie about it, that's yeah, that's, mm. that's 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 a way to make me grumpy. Yeah.
3: Right, but like, I was glad I was there for it, right? Because it's like I don't know because not that i wouldn't trust like the news media's uh, account of it but like i was glad that i was there for it so that i could like definitely be sure about what mm-hmm. i was describing and like yeah. definitely be sure that people weren't uh you know being dramatic or overhyping mm-hmm. um and i think you know this whole event more than it's like part of what i think is the tragedy of words losing their meaning lately in the media and people mm-hmm. uh changing the definitions of words to fit their narratives literally today. Like now yeah like now literally. more than ever there was, there was i'm sorry ever. there was actually the,
2: merriam webster announced they're changing the definition of racism today in their dictionary actually changing the. What i don't know what, is it
3: still like is it the same concept
2: i think it's just gonna be a picture of everybody that works at bon appetit i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Well, the actual answer is they're expanding the definition to include systematic racism. So now it says racism is also a doctrine or political program based on the assumption of racism and designed to execute its principles. So not merely racial prejudice or discrimination, but a political or social system founded on racism is in fact racist, which I
2: wanted to finish that point. I just wanted to point out that actually a word I never thought I would see this that, that in the midst of this, they literally went to the dictionary and changed the word, but continue. Sorry.
3: But I mean, my point was just that I think <laughs> my, my point was just that like, I, I've never felt more like it be more clear to me that you need to try and go out of your way to be specific and accurate and uh, not overhype things, or not use mm-hmm. language that is confusing to people. And I think, you know, in it's almost like in all of our being overwhelmed by all of the news that there is to cover, and how emotional people are about that news for for a number of reasons, some of them completely valid. Instead of focusing on doing our jobs as journalists, we're kind of focusing on. Uh, the wrong things, and trying to mm-hmm. you know root out people who are not sure enough in our midst. And it, I, I think it's just really, really concerning to. I'm sorry, as I'm saying this, Trump just his tweet just came up it's law and order oh, in all caps, and it just <laughs> My feed that... of this podcast wait that's the um, whole
0: tweet just law and order there's, there's, maybe he's actually watching the show
2: law and order and he's like it's law mean, and order
3: he, he tweets <laughs> it's like, like every other day now and people always reply with like CSI Miami <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway I'm sorry Oh my god! Uh, I, I just wanted to uh, there's breaking news I want to have oh, one god. more thing of breaking news and you guys get back because we cannot keep up with this and I just saw this um yeah oh Olivia, um, who is a lady, um, will know this. Um, you guys who are disgusting,
3: a very very offensive. Wait, wait, wait,
2: wait, JK Rowling. I'm about to tell you what's going on down there in Gryffindor or whatever. Uh, there's a website, which I I knew of from the back of the, uh, called man repeller, which is quite big. And, uh, the founder, uh, Leandra Cohen is uh, now being canceled. Um and it's happening Uh, in real time. Annoying. Yeah. Oh no. no. (laughs) It's like she's fine. She's annoying. Uh, she's. she's now stepping down after criticism over a lack of diversity at Man Repeller, which is actually a fairly. It sounds like to people who are oafish like you, Matt, that this is not a thing that people like. But it's a very big website, uh, amongst. But she is. uh, She's now been canceled. I just want to update on the latest cancellation because they're coming in pretty fast. It's like the BBC Wireless when when Germany's being bombed. Yeah, they well, they just hit
1: Hamburg. Uh, no. I got to go. I got to go. <laughs> I just I just love the idea that the editor of Man Repeller yes. was fired or resigned to be because clear, she wasn't being fashion inclusive fashion enough.
3: Website. Yes,
1: yes, to be clear, in it's a fashion, fashion website. website. It was it not is-
3: like it was it's it not, not Andrew like Dworkin. It's not like a, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not like the uh, um, the, the sort of Oberlin College uh, Women's Studies Department made a news site. It's an actual fashion website. But uh, but yeah, there's there's um, a big debate going on now on her Instagram feed, uh, in which somebody actually chimed in and said, "You really should read John McWhorter." swear to God, the world has huh. gone completely insane. I don't even know what to oh, think man. of anything anymore. All right, can um, I ask Olivia one more question before you go? Because I don't want to ask you this, Olivia. Why do, you know, I, I led with this and everyone wants to know it. I've asked you a thousand times and I'll keep asking you. When people know what you think, because you don't have to do that. You're not like, I got to play it down the middle. Yeah, you yeah. do the thing that people forget actually exists is that you write for a magazine, you report news, you go out there and you tell people they fucking suck in your pieces, right? And you right. they're funny <laughs> and interesting. Yeah. But they still talk to you and I that is the thing. What are the yeah, Trump people, you, you said you talked to somebody from the administration today. What are they getting yeah. out of it? Is there so much dissension in the ranks <laughs> that they like like feeding things to you because ba- it will get back, you know, It annoys their bosses or their opponents within the administration. Why do you still just, are you just making the whole thing up?
0: But can (laughs) we get a little more context though, Olivia? Because you managed to get into rooms. I
2: don't
3: even live in Washington. I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She's in Piscataway, New Jersey, people.
3: (laughs) I'm sorry, what were you saying, Camille?
0: No, I'd say a little bit more context because you managed to get into rooms with like the president and his like right hand men and women in some cases, perhaps. And they are talking directly to you about the most germane issues. And you're always able to get these nuggets. And for some reason, you're constantly texting with Rudy Giuliani and it doesn't always work out great for them. But you went to Kellyanne
2: Conway's
3: house in New Jersey. What is wrong with these people? That was Molly Ball. And no, sorry, that was Ben Terrace who went to her house. I didn't go to her house in New Jersey. Um, But I, you know, I I always, I mean, I would like to think it's because I'm like very fair and like they, people think that they're going to get a fair shake, even if like, you know, it's not a broadly flattering piece to them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And But I, I mean, there are a number of reasons why people talk to journalists in general, right? Like their egos, and they want to feel like they're influencing the conversation. But like I always, I make it a practice to never, to try and never surprise people, and to always, like if I think that someone is an asshole, and I'm going to write that in my piece, like I'm also going to tell them that in conversation mm-hmm. with them, and I think that people, res- I think people respect that, but also Trump is insane, right, and when people when I remember when um there was somebody <laughs> there was somebody else and then he in, just lets <laughs> you know,
2: come on in you're insane. But, it's but, but, no, but,
3: is, but, he, but that's what he likes. He when his um communications aides bring him like a list of um, requests from the media and they say oh uh, New York magazine uh, you know Olivia Nancy from New York magazine has a request he will literally say oh does she like would do does she like me? And if the answer is no, he'll be like okay good, bring your aunt. Like he wants to try and <laughs> he will try to wants to try and sway people um, who who you know I think he likes that challenge If he likes the chase I think it's why he's always mm. looking for a new wife like that is what he is motivated by <laughs> and that's just what he's like wow. and, um, Wait, are you saying and he's also,
0: actively shopping Is that what you're <laughs> saying are you Breaking news that's, tonight Yeah
3: that's why I'm there That's what he's doing <laughs> No um he you know, but I, I think that, um, anyway, I don't, I don't really know what the answer is. I think, like, people in this administration, sometimes they will ask journalists. I'm not the only journalist who I know that this happens to, but they will say, basically, what's your view of what's happening in here? Oh, really? Like, is that how you're viewing this? Like, or, you know, how does it look from the outside? Or what are you hearing? Because they are, they're also consumers of media about their own workplace in this weird way. Um, which that's a little bit of a tangent. It's separate from you know why they talk mm. to me specifically when it tends to blow up in their faces.
2: No, I think that but, I asked um, you that question in a way because I wonder if I mean it's a leading question in some ways. I wonder if there is that dissension in the ranks that that you are these people are just like, I cannot believe what I'm living through. Cause you got a lot of that the early in the administration. Yeah. People are like, I can't I can't believe that this is actually as bad as it, it, it is. And is that is it stable now in the sense that It's the usual kind of leaking for their own personal reasons, or is that that kind of felt like there was a civil war inside the administration the first year?
3: They, I think as time went on, you know, the first year of the administration, it was a lot of backstabbing and people just literally spending their entire days like on the phone, leaking to reporters like me, trying to fuck over the person in the next office so that they could get more proximity to Trump. That kind of died down a little bit. And then there was sort of like a bunker mentality that took hold, I want to say, in like year or two, uh, where I, I at least... there were fewer Palestinian stories. There were fewer stories where, like, anonymous White House official X said that Trump couldn't find the light switch in, you know, the panic room or whatever. Um, And there, it just seemed like people were a little bit nervous about being selected as uh, the leaker, right, of of being pointed to internally as the person leaking from this meeting or whatever. Um, But, you know, I think not to, like, think too highly of myself or anything but I think there's there's always there are always going to be people who want to be able to explain themselves at length there are very few mm-hmm. venues to do that nowadays nowadays I sound I sound as old as Matt Weld <laughs> No, do yeah
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just Appreciate kidding that. His, nowadays, his, his nowadays is usually about the Korean Power War <laughs> <laughs> it's you know
3: but um but he you know I, I think that there are like there are very few magazines and very few place venues to do that now and new york magazine is one of the last places that does that and i think people are always because of you know, reasons relating to their ego and we all want to be understood people always want to people will always be optimistic about the idea that they might be able to explain themselves and they might mm. be able to be understood and that's true in life and it's true in this white house mm-hmm. and i think that yeah. ultimately explains uh why they take a chance on someone who claims that they really want to try to understand them as i say that i do and i do um <laughs> as I, I, do, genuinely, I do i do i, do. I no I but, that's, do. but that's but that's but i i that's how i pitch people right it's i, yeah. I you know i tell them i really want to understand them and i do i'm genuinely fascinated by these people and why the fuck they're there and like but i don't but i'm not going to pretend like i uh, that i agree with what they're doing and i think i think it's almost better that way if that's part of your pitch like hey this is what i think but like it's not going to color everything i'm gonna i'm aware of my bias yeah right it's and not, I, I, an it's I, I, not I a partisan great thing
2: and the great next story in this is if those if those polls remain um so far apart and that 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 you know, Donald Trump's going to have a hard time narrowing that gap, especially as things are going now. And he's ejected. Uh, uh, I, you know, it is that actually the, the, the word grifter is thrown around way too much on Twitter. But that's the most appropriate word to describe so many of the people that are working in the administration that were fourth and fifth tier people in the conservative universe prior to Donald, the ascension of Donald Trump. And I, mm-hmm. I think the most interesting thing will be where do all these people go after because mm. did they remake the party enough to actually infect and and get sinecures in the institutions of the party, which will remain and will still be the Heritage Foundation, will still be the RNC, et cetera, or they go back and have like, you know, radio shows and like local markets or something. Well, I because think there's the story so many of the
3: Republican Party post-Trump is going to be fast. I mean, no matter when, it, yeah. when post-Trump happens, if it's yep. in November or is it in January or, uh, you know, four years after that, the kind of the ideological uh, existential crisis on the right, that will ensue mm-hmm. once their uh, god emperor is gone is going to be fascinating <laughs> it's going to be fascinating to watch um yeah. and I, I you know there are people like tom cotton who seem like maybe they'll be the logical error uh mm-hmm. here but who knows what will happen we've in the last several months i feel like we've we have there has been enough news to fill uh you know several lifetimes so it's like who knows what's going to decide the election when we don't even know what's going to decide, decide the new cycle tomorrow.
1: What are you going to look for in terms of like, I, I've seen some uh, overly hopeful uh, <laughs> anti-Trump people say, Oh my God, I don't know who it was Lisa Murkowski or, or Susan Collins um, actually said something stronger than, Oh, maybe that was a bad thing for him to say. I think about the Buffalo guy, who knows? Um, um I was just, like, as, a, as an aside, uh, in, in thinking about Trump tweeting that maybe the 75-year-old man who was pushed down by the Buffalo Police Department was, like, an Antifa plant uh, because, of like, radio wires or something, I was just sort of, like, having a quick flashback to, like, the beer summer with Henry Louis Gates was a problem for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Just, like, well, what the fuck world do we live in now? Uh, but anyways, um, mm-hmm. like... Uh, Uh, You know, Mitt Romney marching in Black Lives Matter. What are what are like some signposts that you were looking for? Like, will this person start to say these types of things about Trump going forward that would uh, lead uh, you to kind of conclude that maybe Republicans are eyeing the exits? They're like, okay, this is going to be a loss. I'm going to have to alter uh, my pitch a little bit or where what side I'm on right now um, going into this what are you looking for who are you looking for how they behave between now and November. I, and this I, is I'm the not... last question
0: so
3: you got to
1: give us
0: your 2020 <laughs> prediction
1: as well
3: I mean I'm not looking for anything in particular but like I I think as the recipient of a lot of like off the record I think Trump sucks or off the record I'm horrified by this or off the record I'm despondent or I think we're going to lose in November from uh, Republicans in Washington. I'm just kind of skeptical of all the stories about you know, how Republicans are really feeling. It's like either do it on the record and in public or it's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, and until people start doing until there are 10 Mitt Romney's Uh, I kind of don't think that there's a real story there other than about, you know, the cowardice of people (laughs) in power uh, Mm -hmm. on, you know, in the Republican ranks in Washington. Um, And that's not to say that I won't print more of those stories between now and November, because I probably will. (laughs) But I, as a reader, (laughs) as a reader, I'm always skeptical of those. I, I mean, as for a prediction, I'm aware of how the media is, I think there's a tendency to overcorrect for the mistake in, in 20 or the mistakes in 2016, how we all fucked that up so badly and, and predicted the wrong thing. Um, but I still really do just feel like he's going to win. I, I don't know why I feel that way. I like, you know, I can't report according to my hunch. like
2: <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah.
3: That's what's going to happen. But um, that's just how I feel <laughs> about it. He's I, lost I uh, uh,
2: Lisa Murkowski and Adam Kinsinger. I think it's over, <laughs> Olivia. <laughs> I'm tired of those stories. They're all going to be Barry Goldwater walking over yeah, to the White I, House. I just, it's not going to happen. No, I don't.
3: Know. I don't know.
0: Did we lose Olivia?
3: I right on time. I just think. Um, I think I'm probably a little, uh, you know, have some PTSD from 2016 and, and all of us. <laughs> I'm here. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I no. guess you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. yeah barely. Bye. i
3: just said something really offensive i'm
1: glad that it cut out oh yeah no it's really yeah (laughs) no i'm just
3: kidding Um, your
1: skulls are just smaller
2: yeah exactly (laughs) i did the whole thing i did the whole thing in a chinese accent i didn't know that was wrong (laughs) (laughs) Totally inappropriate
3: oh god i gotta go goodbye guys (laughs) thank you for having me
2: well, we will wrap it up now. But, thank uh, you. But thank
1: you very much, yes, thank Olivia. You. Thank you, you for it. Keep, Keep getting it. canceled.
2: We enjoy oh, watching
1: it. <laughs> if Listen, oh, if
0: you're still around, you haven't been canceled
1: yet. And and
3: I
0: think no. you are uncancelable. Oh, God, just say don't say that. Don't say that. You just jinxed it. You just
3: jinxed no, it. No, no. I... You're with
0: me now. You're with me now. It's oh, fine. Look how well that worked out for Barry.
2: Yeah. We're so. great. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Goodbye. Thank you for having
0: me. Bye. Bye.
2: We, we, we know of uh, new methods of attack. The Trojan horse,
3: The fifth column.